The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at BuffaloRumlings.com. The Bills are 6-2 and two and in a really nice position in the AFC playoff picture, even if they're a game behind, a game and a half, behind the New England Patriots, who are going into their bye week this week. So Buffalo can close it to a one-game lead if they beat the Cleveland Browns this weekend. As always, you can send in your questions at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at RumlingsQ&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. Email is buffalorumlings at sbnation.com. We take Facebook messages, uh, Instagram messages, lots of ways to get in touch with the show. Uh, Bills fans certainly have a lot of questions after that Washington game. They might be 6-2, and two, but they certainly have warts and problems and make mistakes. And so we'll dive into all of that today during this week's episode, as there are some Bills fans that are like, they're 6-2, and two, shut up, and there's other ones that are, are worried about everything else. So let's kind of delve into all that, shall we? We've got a lot of questions today, so I'll get through my five observations as I do every week, but I'll do it uh, real quick. Uh, the first observation was Have a Day, Devin. Uh, Bill's Devin Singletary uh, had a great game, start to finish. Uh, he was finally healthy, maybe from that hamstring injury that's hampered him for the last, oh, I don't know, month of the season. Um, he finished with 95 yards and a touchdown on the ground with 20 carries. Plus, he had 45 yards on three catches through the air, including that really nice 49-yard screen pass. So if he only finished with 45 yards, that doesn't bode well for those other two catches. But anyway, he had 140 all-purpose yards plus a touchdown. So great game for the rookie. Uh, he had about the same number of snaps that he had the previous week, but he got the ball on the carry or got carries on a lot more uh, calls. So that was a nice thing to see from rookie Devin Singletary. We also had a good opening first half for the offense. Uh, after a down week last week, they responded with 17 points on three possessions right in, in the beginning of the first half. They drove the ball down the field, scored a touchdown, drove the ball down the field, settled for a field goal, drove the ball down the field, scored a touchdown. So I thought that that was really nice. They um, had a big Andre Roberts kickoff return for that third touchdown, but all in all, the offense did really well in the first three drives, really the whole first half. Second half was a little bit different. Speaking of 
the first half and the second half being a little bit different was the run defense. Adrian Peterson had 101 yards in the first half, 63 on one drive in the second quarter where he was just chunking and chunking against the Bills' run defense. But it was a little bit because of over-pursuit, whether it's the linebackers or the defensive tackles, kind of over-pursuing uh, east-west and getting out of their gap integrities. Um, they were able to lock it down at halftime. Uh, Peterson had 101 yards at halftime, but only seven in the second half. As Buffalo was able to maintain that gap integrity that they lost in the first half, that's what the Washington uh, run game is built on, is getting you moving and over-pursuing, and then Peterson finds that daylight and puts his foot in the ground and cuts up field. So the Bills were able to lock that down in the second half, and it worked out really, really well. Um, my fourth bullet point was... Um, was Brian Dable and Frank Gore under fire. Uh, the second half in particular, uh, Dable did not do a great job. Uh, the first half, like I said, three scoring drives, three for three. Uh, but the second half, they just kind of really were flummoxed. Uh, at one point, Frank Gore ran the ball into the middle of the line, I think five straight times on, uh, on plays with one yard to either gain the end zone or gain the first down, and they were stuffed every single time. Uh, there were different play calls each time, but they were still, like, inside handoffs to Frank Gore right up the middle, and he wasn't able to convert. And so both of those guys are a little bit under fire. Gore averaged 1.4 yards per rushing attempt um, over the course of the game, including five straight plays that he did not gain the the first down or the touchdown on those plays we just talked about. And then finally, 1993. It seems a little bit random for five takeaways from a game, but the last time the Bills were 6-2 and two or better was in 1993. They were 7-1 that year and went on to the Super Bowl. The year before that, they were 6-2, and went on to the Super Bowl. So you can see how kind of important this stat is for those Bills Super Bowl teams, of course. But every single year since then, even the, the Bills teams that made the playoffs have never gone into the ninth game of the season without a third loss. And so it's the best record Buffalo's had at the halfway point since Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith and Steve Tasker and all those guys were on the field. So... It's uh, kind of an important milestone, they, um, and they deserve some praise for it. All right, let's get to your questions. This week's question I'm getting a lot is, what are the Bills' chances to make the playoffs now that they're 6-2 and two at the halfway point of the year. Uh, according to the New York Times playoff machine, the Bills have a 71% chance to make the playoffs, and based on their predictions, a 10-6 Bills team has a 98% chance to make the playoffs this year. Um, so if the Bills go 4-4 four and four down the stretch, if they beat the teams that are supposed to beat and lose to the teams that we think they are probably not as good as, uh, they'll still have a 98% chance to make the playoffs. Um, if they go 9-7, and seven, though, they only have a 46% chance of making the playoffs. So that's obviously a big swing. they got to get four. They just have to go 4-4, four and four, play 500 football over the second half of the season uh, to make, make the playoffs. With games coming up against teams with losing records, uh, the Browns, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and eventually against the New York Jets, plus a game against the 4-4 four and four Pittsburgh Steelers thrown in there, they really just have to win four of those five games, and they're very, very likely to make the playoffs. Um, they also have games against the Cowboys, Ravens, or Patriots that they could just steal one and um, and just re be really in a great position 
Of course, the Bills can also win the AFC East if the Patriots stumble down the stretch and the Bills win. Uh, particularly, that game against uh, the Patriots would be important in that scenario, obviously. So, I feel pretty good about their chances to make the playoffs. I think that they can beat up on those uh, on those lesser teams, even if they make it in at 10-6 and six and have to win against the Jets in Week 17 to do that. I don't think that's going to be bad for this team. So, that's the question I'm getting a lot this week is, what are the chances of the Bills making the playoffs now that we're at the halfway point of their season? To the phone lines we go at 716-508-0405. Hey, this is Christina from good old Omaha, Nebraska. And my question this week is, what do you guys think the tight end situation will look like moving forward? Do you think Knox or Croft will be targeted more? Or do you think they're going to use them more as kind of blocking tight ends? Thanks so much, and go Bills. Thanks for calling in all the way from Nebraska. I look at the tight end position, and I want to start with Lee Smith because he's been pretty darn consistent at that position. He's earned, what, 40%? Yeah, 41% of the team's offensive snaps throughout the year. And like I said, it's been very consistent before and after Tyler Croft uh, came back. Um even when Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney were were fresh off the boat rookies, we we had a lot of use for Lee Smith as that kind of sixth offensive lineman. And I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So when you talk about adding the other tight ends as blockers, I think Lee Smith's role is is that role and it's pretty solid. Moving on to the other guys that you talked about, Croft and Knox. I was kind of surprised to see Tyler Croft's snaps go down so frequently. Uh, this week against Washington when he played so much the week before against Philadelphia. Um, I I don't expect them to be blocking tight ends, no. I expect that they're going to be used in the passing game a little bit. Uh, The Bills uh, obviously want to get them involved in the passing game. We've seen Knox be targeted a lot and and Croft be targeted a little bit. So I don't know how the two of them is going to break down going forward, Uh, but I do know that they want to use them in uh, in the middle of the the field, and they probably will end up using them a little bit more against other teams. So thank you for your question at 716-508-0405. To Twitter, we go at Rumlings Q and A. Buffalo Joe asks us: Are the 2019 Bills the worst six and two team in NFL history? Well, according to Football Outsiders, they aren't. Football Outsiders put up um, a little DVOA stat where the Bills were, I think, the third worst six and two team in NFL history. So. I don't think that means a whole heck of a lot right now. Uh, I think the Bills can certainly be dangerous going into the playoffs with the defense that they have and a quarterback that is as talented as Josh Allen. Uh, The Bills are inconsistent, and that is their biggest problem. They haven't put together a 60-minute football game yet. Heck, they've barely put together a game where both their offense and defense actually played well in the same game. So if they can do that in the playoffs, they can beat any team that's on their schedule. They just haven't been able to do that. And I do think it's partly because they play to the level of their opponents each week. So sometimes that means that they're playing down to inferior opponents and they don't quite get as amped up as they did against, say, the Patriots when they played them so tough for 60 minutes. Um, the 
the Bills are going to be a dangerous team if they make it into the playoffs because of that, but they could also just lay an absolute egg because sometimes when you're inconsistent, you're low, and if both the offense and defense have a bad game, it could really hurt them and sink them uh, in one in a, in a one and done situation. So I, I don't, I don't think I certainly don't think they're the worst six and two team in NFL history, but I also know that they could go on a run and um, and finish ten and six and beat some of these good teams remaining on their schedule. Thanks for the question. At Rumlings Q and A. Back to Twitter, where Big Time Football asks us, is the Bills' success the players believing in the quarterback or more the players believing in the head coach? I think they're one and the same. I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have really molded Josh Allen uh, into being that leader that they want him to be, uh, the team-first kind of guy, the, the guy that pumps up everybody else on the team. And regardless of whether he can be the Bills' quarterback or not, he certainly has those qualities down. He knows how to talk to the media, knows how to talk to the fans, and, of course, the other players around him. So I, I think it all comes from kind of the same focus, and, and really it all boils down to Sean McDermott and his vision for the team. Uh, they have the, the rest of the team has certainly bought in to what Sean McDermott is laying down, and you can see it every single game. You can see it in their interviews. You can see it, heck, in their, um, in their Halloween parties and everything else. So I think it all starts at Sean McDermott, and uh, that process and family stuff all, all trickles down from there with the word love used a lot. Thanks for your question at Rumlinks Q&A. We'll be right back after this quick break. Don't move. Let's go back to the phones at 716-508-0405. Hey, this is Jason from Seattle. I was just wondering if you guys thought um, fans should consider today's game a passing of the torch from Gore to Singletary, uh, or you know, is it going to go back to the workload they had before this game? Uh, should the fans expect uh, Singletary to keep on getting this many touches? Uh, love the pod. Thanks a lot. Hi, and thanks for calling in from Seattle. Wow, Nebraska and Seattle in the same show. That's pretty cool. I do think this is going to be more of what we're going to see from the Bills going forward. Uh, I don't necessarily consider it a passing of the torch, but Devin Singletary is in the third month of his NFL career, and one of those months he spent on on the shelf because he was injured with a hamstring injury. So, you know, as they were easing him into his first NFL games, he had four carries and six carries and then seven carries. Um, and then last week they were easing him back in from his hamstring injury against the Eagles and had three attempts. So seeing him at 20 attempts, I think is a li- actually a little bit higher than where they really want him. They probably want him a little bit lower than that, but Gore was so ineffective against Washington that they had to go with that change. One of the things about it is that, uh, you know, Gore, it, when he's in the game, he is much more likely to get the ball. We had an article about this in buffalorollings.com on Monday about how often Gore gets the ball when he's in the game. It's like 50% of the snaps he gets the ball. And considering that there's four or five other skilled position players on the field, that's an awful lot uh, of skew. 
toward Gore. So uh, with Singletary on the field, it's a little bit less likely that it's going to go toward Singletary. I do think that's going to be his, you know, they're probably going to be about 50-50 going for, forward. Maybe not in snaps, Singletary outsnapped Gore, but 50-50 in carries, 50-50 in targets in the passing game, I think would make a lot of sense going down the stretch. And then if Gore stays next year, probably the same thing. If they bring somebody else in to be the secondary back along with Singletary, I still think that they're going to try and keep him fresh by um, by keeping other players in the backfield. So I, I like... 20 carries for for Singletary or 20 touches in a game. I don't necessarily think we need to be going a whole lot further than that, like up to 25 or 30, and he was at about 25 in the game against Washington. Thanks for the question on our voicemail line at 716-508-0405. Our next question comes from Twitter at Rumlings Q&A. Uh, Will Kevin asks us, with Nick Chubb up next, he could rip the Bills' defense for 150 rushing yards. Is it time to try Taylor with Phillips to start in the middle? Taylor looked good today. The Bills did make a pretty significant change on the offensive line by starting Jordan Phillips over Ed Oliver against the Washington squad this past weekend. Um, Oliver did play well. He had some nice penetrations uh, and uh, is still getting getting into there uh but he is still i mean he's making his what seventh nfl start or sixth nfl start something like that so it's um it's we still have some growing pains to go with that oliver i think uh he's he's playing really well and i'm not worried about him it's just something to to think about uh vincent taylor was promoted from the bills practice squad on saturday replacing calpeco who was ultimately claimed by the indianapolis colts on waivers um i I don't know how well he played. I haven't gone back and rewatched the game, uh, but he did okay for sure. Uh, I think the Bills' defensive tackles did okay, um, and most of the problems that Buffalo had was because of the linebackers in the run game. That's actually what I'm more worried about going forward than, say, Star Latulale. I do think the Bills are going to continue looking at defensive tackles. They brought in at least one on Monday, and um, we'll probably see a couple more names squeak out here on Tuesday as that's traditionally the day that teams look at other players. I'm not going to be the guy that, you know, throws dirt on Star Latulale's career either. I I don't think he's washed up. I think he's not worth what the Bills are paying him, but that doesn't mean he's not a good run defender. He's not a guy that can contribute in a defensive tackle rotation. So I also think that, you know, just kind of scheming around that, uh, not giving up on what they are doing well. I mean, they were able to hold Adrian Peterson to seven yards in the second half. So obviously they were able to fix that problem at least during the game. So if they can keep doing it the way they were doing it in the second half against uh, Washington, that will certainly help them going forward against Nick Chubb and the rest of the running backs that they're going to be seeing down the stretch. Thanks for your question at Rumlings Q&A on Twitter. Our next question comes from Sumit Gupta on Twitter. What's reasonable to expect out of an offense that almost entirely turned over this last offseason? I feel like everything right now is pennies from heaven. If I was uh, Nick and Nolan, I'd drop a pennies from heaven drop in there. A little bit of pop culture reference. But uh, what's reasonable to expect from the offense, I think, is what we saw in the first half. Um, you know, three sustained drives that scored 17 points and then a kneel down at the end of the half. I mean, that's 
I'm not saying that the Bills are going to score on every drive, but I mean, they were efficient. They moved the ball, even if eventually they'll have to, you know, punt it or or settle for a field goal. I think that's fine. And we are still seeing some inconsistencies. The Bills drove it 90 yards down to the one yard line or two yard line. And then a comedy of errors. They ended up at the 25 yard line for their field goal kick on that drive. So inconsistencies are still going to happen. But I think that we can expect pretty much what we saw in the first half um, if they're going well. Um, But it's going to be inconsistent. So you're going to see some punts and things like that. But, I mean, we should be able to see 24, 25, 28 points a game. I mean, it's not – that's not crazy. I mean, what's the league average for points? The Bills are averaging 19.8 points per game. That's 22nd in the league. If you add another field goal to that and get up to 22.8 points per game, that puts you right at the median for the entire NFL. That's where the 16th and 17th place Oakland Raiders and Indianapolis Colts are sitting at 22.8. So it's not really a ton more scoring. It's one field goal per game, one more sustained drive per game. I think it's more likely that the offense progresses rather than regresses. I think they're starting to figure it out. They got a rookie at running back who's just coming off of an injury. They've got a guy making his 17th or 18th NFL start in Josh Allen. I I think they're going to start figuring it out, and I think it's much more likely that the offense explodes when he hits a deep ball or finds some rookie Dawson Knox, another guy that's inexperienced, and they start to gel. I think it's more likely that they, you know, impress rather than regress going down the stretch here. Thanks for your question. At Rumlings Q&A on Twitter. David Summers asks us at Rumlings Q&A, I heard Josh Allen's scramble and off-balance throw to John Brown was a good play. How is that different than hero ball? I assume hero ball was the off-balance throw, or is it not taking the time to see if the guy is covered? All of that goes into it. Uh, in the play in question, uh, Allen was able to escape the pocket when it collapsed around him. He rolled out to his right. He was able to see John Brown. But I think it's more than that because he was able to really, I think in the past he would have tucked that ball and tried to run it up against Josh Norman to try to get the first down. But instead he baited Josh Norman to come up and address him and then threw it past him to John Brown, who was on the sideline. It was a little bit high, but it was a perfect ball uh, for John Brown to catch it and still come down with it in bounce. So I was really happy with that. He was just able to keep his eyes down the field as he was rolling out. And I think that's a big part of it. The hero ball we've been talking about before is trying to fit it into bad windows. And in this case, he was really under control. He wasn't making any rash decisions. He wasn't trying to force it in where it didn't belong. In fact, he was making sure that there was space there and then put it right on the money and it was just such a great great play um i know cover one tweeted out video of it on uh, tuesday morning so if you guys want to go back through their feed you can see it but it was just a great play and um, i'm really happy about it that's the kind of stuff we need from him going forward thanks for your question at rumblings q a Let's fit in one more question before we head off today. Uh, Buflov asks us, uh, how are the Bills not able to play with a lead? Why is Josh afraid of his shadow? I think it has to do overall with the philosophy of Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills offense. The 
they want to protect the lead. They want to make sure they don't make any stupid mistakes. And it's one of the reasons why you saw so many runs by Frank Gore right up the gut on first and one, second and one, third and one, and why you see the Bills go to a running attack when they have a lead. They just don't want to make any big mistakes. And so they just kind of turtle up instead of going for the jugular. Hopefully it's something that they'll change going forward against good teams because they won't be able to just run out the clock. As always, please call in your questions for next week's episode, 716-508-0405. Tweet us at Rumlings Q&A. You can Facebook, Instagram message us. Uh, you can leave comments in the comments section at buffalorumlings.com. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. Email buffalorumlings at sbnation.com. Please take some time to rate us on the iTunes store. Let us know how we're doing with those reviews. Go Bills. Thank you.